Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.03 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 26th of March, 2021. This is episode 1952 of Bitcoin And. I'm lying. It's, I'm, I'm like... Dude, no, it's not 1952. If you're not catching the reference, you need to hop onto Twitter because stupid people do stupid things. And oh my God, talk about a fucking train wreck. We'll we'll get to that later, I suppose. But right now, we need to get into this. How long will the $6 billion of Bitcoin options expiring tomorrow affect the price? I, actually, it's today. $6 billion expires today. Now, last yesterday, I was... Kind of like talking about uh, giving y'all the news on why the price drop, you know, why why the bloodbath. And the bloodbath has a mostly, honestly, mostly to do with these options that are expiring because it's a record amount of options. Bitcoin is going to be setting records for a while, guys. And when things are setting records, it's it can get to be a, a fairly slippery slope insofar as, you know, what you think is going to happen doesn't happen. What you didn't think was going to happen is going to happen. And we have $6 billion of, of Bitcoin options expiring today, uh, Friday. So far, the markets are actually, or the, well, the markets, Bitcoin prices up, okay? So we're back, I think, back to 53,000 right now. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens when these things finally fucking terminate. I'm getting sick of having to wait for it because everybody's like losing their shit all the time. So here, the, the, the problem is, is when you got $6 billion worth of shit floating around and, and people are, you know, waiting for the, for the clock to finally strike zero hour, anything can happen. By the time, it's $53,000 now, in about 30 minutes, I'm going to hit the vital statistics. That price could be 49000 It could be 57000 We have no idea what, what the hell's going on because we're not in the minds of hundreds or if not thousands of traders that are holding on to $6 billion worth of options in Bitcoin. Okay, so just y'all, we all need to really take a chill pill. Um, Let's let's get into this one. This is William Clement the uh, Third writing for Bitcoin Magazine. After another week of Bitcoin price volatility, including an all a new all time high, a new record of options expiring on March the twenty sixth could play a key role in price action and the continuation of this volatility moving into the coming days. Options are a contract for the right to purchase or sell an asset at a specific price. According to data analytics company Bybit, or uh, well, BYBT, Bibibit, I don't know how to pronounce that, there are over 100,000 BTC, the equivalent of 5 million, or no, I'm sorry, uh, $5,574,000,000 uh, worth 
of options are set to expire this Friday, March the 26th, across numerous major exchanges. This will make for an interesting trading session leading into the weekend. This level of options expiring will set a new record, breaking the $4 billion mark, that's billion with a B, set in late January of this year. The Bitcoin price on January the 31st closed at just over $33,000. Remember that? Remember that, ladies and gentlemen? We were at $33,000 in January, guys, meaning that Bitcoin has appreciated almost 100% since the previous record of options expiring. Options open interest for Bitcoin has soared this year, more than doubling since the end of last year, up from about $5 billion to now nearing $14 billion. <laughs> In options, there are calls, bets that price will rise, and then there are puts, which are bets that price will fall. In aggregate, the market is leaning bullish with the current call-to-put ratio at 1.11. Anything above the number one is bullish, meaning at a ratio of 1.18, the market is leaning 11% in favor of more upside to come. If, if the past is any indication of what is to come, this should entail some short-term volatility, but ultimately more upside in the coming weeks following expiry. All right, so <clears throat> that's a prediction that we're going to go up. What do we do with predictions, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? We don't really listen to them. What do you do then? You buy Bitcoin and you don't do anything. That's it. You don't trade it. You don't sell it. You don't speculate on it. You don't borrow against it. God forbid, BlockFi is in a shit ton of trouble. We're not going to get into that one because all the, all they're doing is just decreasing the amount of uh, interest that you get on your on your Bitcoin that you lend with them. I don't recommend it because it's BlockFi. No, not because it's BlockFi. Don't let go of your Bitcoin. You buy Bitcoin and then you don't do anything. If you're going to do something after you buy Bitcoin, shit post about it. That's what I do. Just saying. Um... There's also, hold on for a second. Let's, let's, before I do that, and I'm probably going to forget now that I'm going to do this one, uh, let's get into this piece by Samuel Haig, which is also talking about options, okay? Because this is, this is if, if you're, I had somebody reach out to me yesterday on Twitter to tell me thank you to kind of clear this up for them as to what the hell happened to the price. And, it, and, and they said that it made them feel better. So, Hey, if I can give you information that's going to make you feel better about being in this weird, like end of quarter time, then by God, I'm going to do more of it. So Samuel Haig tells us a little bit more about this coin or from Coin Telegraph about this options deal. Options traders target eighty thousand dollars by May. Skew suggests that that's just a six percent chance that they're right. Okay, so let's get into this one. With Coinbase's highly anticipated direct listing IPO expected to take place next month, options traders appear to be betting that Bitcoin will once again soar to new all-time highs in the coming weeks. On March the 24th, the founders of crypto analytics firms Glassnode tweeted data suggesting that options traders on peer-to-peer -peer crypto derivatives exchange Deribit are loading up on contracts set to expire on April the 30th with a strike price 
of $80,000. Oh my God. Contracts worth a notional value of 4,000 BTC have been purchased targeting the price point in total more than any other strike price by at least 50%. They're betting big is what that means. Should the price be less than $80,000 by the end of April, the contracts will expire worthless, indicating high conviction that the Bitcoin markets are still a long way from topping out among derivatives traders. However, according to crypto derivatives data aggregator SKU, probability estimates or estimates based on market data for the April 30 contract suggest that there's just a 6.19% chance of BTC prices being above $80,000 when the position matures. Significant volume is also converged around the contracts with a strike price of $120,000, meaning some traders believe the Bitcoin price will more than double over the next five weeks. Wow. SKU estimates there's only a 2.15% chance that is likely that Bitcoin will reach $100,000 by the uh, April 30th expiry date. However, with many options traders building positions across multiple contracts bearing divergent strike prices, some of the traders betting on eighty dollars or $120,000 may not expect prices to get that high. SKU's data shows that contracts for April 30th are currently the third most popular among options traders with open interest currently equating to a notional value of 38,700 BTC. Okay, that's not dollars, 38,700 BTC. That's what they're saying. It's a little, I don't know, it seems a little weird, but whatever. I'm not an options trader, so I don't know the lingo. June 21st contracts rank second with 42,300 BTC worth of notional open interest with 117,900 BTC worth of contracts over $6 billion in notional value is set to expire on March the 26th. That's today, by the way. Despite the entrance of Institutional Derivatives Exchange Chicago Mercantile Exchange into the Bitcoin options sector on January the tw- in January of 2020, Deribit still dominates options trade volume. SKU estimates 91% of BTC options contracts traded in the past 24 hours changed hands on Deribit following or followed by Bybit.com. Sorry, not Bybit. Bit.com with 5%, OKX with 2%, and CME and Ledger X with roughly 1% each. All right, so I did remember to tell you about this chart that I saw. And I can't remember who made the chart, and I can't remember who asked for it. But what the ask was on Twitter was that, hey, man, has somebody ever made a chart of what Bitcoin price looks like right before and right after all these quarterly options uh, expiry? And somebody delivered and they just go up. I mean, the overall price just ends up going up. Yes, that that chart basically shows like the price goes up and then getting into the days before the the end of the quarter on on quarterly options expiry, lo and behold, the price goes down and then it goes back up until days before the next quarter's options expiry occurs when guess what the price goes down and then it goes up again it's just guys don't trade this shit this is i mean unless you just want to live on pepto bismol and whiskey i wouldn't touch trading bitcoin with any derivative instrument i i wouldn't touch it like i wouldn't touch a fucking cobra right 
don't do it. I mean, unless you're, if you're listening to me and you are just a badass pro trader and you never lose, well then buy gum, you know, knock yourself out. But for the rest of us taco plebs, dude, treat this shit like the play and you will probably be safe. You probably won't get rich overnight either because you're not touching it like the plague, but you're also not going to get wrecked either. You buy Bitcoin and then you hold your Bitcoin. That's my strategy. And yeah, that's actually investing advice. Although what I also wouldn't do when you're buying Bitcoin is mortgage your house for it, mortgage your friend's house for it, burn your house down and take the insurance policy on it. You know, that, that don't do that kind of shit. Just throw 25 bucks a week at it, 50 bucks. Whatever it is that you got, you know, like your, your, you know, search your couch cushions like Avanti did because they raised $37 million to launch an institutional crypto bank. Martin Young tells us about it from Cointelegraph. The Avanti Financial Group has announced that it has raised $37 million in a Series A round, bringing the company closer to launch as a digital asset bank. In a March 25th announcement, which was yesterday, Avanti stated that it will use the proceeds to fund the required regulatory capital needed for launch, in addition to funding development and other operating expenses. The round brings the total amount raised to $44 million. Participants in the round who who are a who's who of institutional investors, including Coinbase Ventures, Binance, Morgan Creek Digital, Madison Page Ventures, AP Capital, and Susquehanna Private Equity Investments, in addition to individuals including Trace Mayer, yes, he's back, and some of Avanti's executives and directors, the University of Wyoming Foundation has also contributed to the funding round. Avanti was founded in 2020 as a Wyoming bank engineered to serve as a regulatory compliance bridge between U.S. dollar payment systems and digital assets. Quote, our roadmap includes offering API-based U.S. dollar payment services for wires, ACH, and SWIFT. Issuance of our tokenized programmable U.S. dollar called AVIT in custody of on-off-ramp services for Bitcoin and other digital assets, end quote. In an interview with Cointelegraph in September 2020, Caitlin Long confirmed that Avanti has no intentions of becoming an exchange and will be for institutional investors only. It will be for institutional investors only. Ha ha ha, why do I laugh? Ask me in a sec. Early Bitcoin adopter and entrepreneur, Trace Mayer, formerly known as the poster child on the milk carton for the lost and found, uh, who formed the consortium that led Avanti Series A, stated that Avanti is extremely well positioned to address the need for legally compliant operators in the digital asset industry as markets mature. Okay, so Trace Mayer has been found. That's good news. I'm, I'm sure his parents were very worried that he was missing for so long. But here's the problem. Institutional investors only. Why, why is that making me laugh? Sorry, grabbing some coffee here, man. It's freaking early. It's 620 right now. I mean, 1952. No, just kidding. Uh, because you can own the underlying asset yourself just by buying it. See, this is what I don't get. Well, okay, I do get it. Okay, but 
I mean, I get the fact that the, why they're raising Series A, why they're only institutional investors, okay? Because they're trying to make money. I get it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like you know, I'm not like a, a stodgy person about that shit. But what I don't get is the inevitable situation that is this: there's going to be a large group of people that, because of actions like this, the narrative starts to look like. Well, shit, I can't, I can't get Bitcoin because that, like these things that are in the news, they don't know that they can get it on Cash App. They don't know that they can get it on Swan. They don't know that as a private individual that they can go over to River. They know about Bitcoin and they know people are getting stupid rich off of it in, in particular situations and also wrecked as shit in, in completely other situations. I'm just saying you can own, as a taco pleb, you can just own the underlying asset. You don't need options. You don't need derivatives. You don't need derivatives of options that are derivatives of options. You don't need any of this stuff. Just buy Bitcoin. If you have to do it solely through Cash App, then do that. But make sure that you pull it off of Cash App and you store it in your own, well, basically secure it with your own private keys. Now, blood money, or I'm sorry, blood coin, Institutions do not want to own China coin Bitcoin, says Kevin O'Leary. As if Kevin O'Leary knows fuck all about this industry. He may be on Shark Tank. He may be a billionaire. Dude, Mark Cuban's a billionaire. Was, he, was it because he was all smart? No, he hired a couple of people because he wanted to build a website that he could listen to basketball. And then he sold it for billions of dollars to, an, to Yahoo, who basically did nothing with it. Mark Cuban got lucky. In my opinion, I think Kevin O'Leary is pretty much of the same kind of suit. Does it mean that I'm smarter than them? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just, here's what I'm saying is that I'm starting to, I'm kind of starting to see the tide go out and I'm getting a hint of who's wearing swimming trunks. I don't think Kevin O'Leary and Mark Cuban are wearing swimming trunks. Let's find out what he means by China coin. Shark Tank co-host Kevin O'Leary today said that institutions do not want to hold Chinese Bitcoin. Also known as blood coin. Good Jesus. The former Bitcoin hater turned investor told a webcast hosted by the Chicago Board Options Exchange that as more corporations snap up the currency, they will be concerned as to where it came from. You see what I'm saying here, guys? If you know anything at all about Bitcoin mining and what mining means, you're gonna understand just how stupid Kevin O'Leary is when it comes to this particular situation. I'm just saying in particular, whether the cryptocurrency has been mined in countries with human rights issues. Quote, the real issue is around compliance and sustainability and other issues such as, is this coin manufactured in countries that are abusing human rights or have sanctions against them? And I'm really speaking about China, he said. I've had many institutions call me to tell me that they don't want to own China coin. O'Leary, who founded a software company, went on to say that he is now actively looking for miners outside of China, which is hard as most mining goes on inside the country. Actually, that's not true. It's it's that's not true. I'm just saying there's a shit ton of mining in China. But to say like flat out most, I don't think so, man. I don't think so. Maybe in the springtime when it's like raining and shit. But 
Anyway, he wants to eventually get institutions to own ethically mined Bitcoin, which he calls virgin coins. This dude. Uh, if you don't want to own China coin, also called blood coin, which sounds like blood diamonds, you're going to prove where your coin is born. Quote, my strategy is simple. I'm going to partner with institutions, the one that come to me. Uh, I'm going to buy positions in mines. I'm going to take a royalty off their production and know with certainty that my partner's coins are virgin and compliant. O'Leary said that he would get paid a premium for ethically mined Bitcoin, but that he wouldn't sell it. <laughs> He added that Bitcoin will only grow as an asset class when it becomes compliant to ethics and sustainability committees. I can't do the rest of this, guys. I'm sorry. I cannot finish this article. This guy is so fucking stupid. He has absolute. First of all, he has no idea what mining really is. That's clear. He also has no idea what Bitcoin is. That's clear. He has no idea... When you say compliant coin, this all everything he's saying is anti fungibility. Every single thing that he said is anti fungibility. That is not what we're working for. Okay, <laughs> this is this guy is a nightmare. Stay away from anything that O'Leary says, does, or or speaks upon because he's just he's just. I'm sorry. This is about as stupid as the U.S. government, uh, you know, wanting to auction some Bitcoin because the GSA's next Bitcoin auction will fetch more than $300,000. Yeah, right. Uh, The press release writers at the U.S. government General Services Administration are gushing about cryptocurrency spring fever. It might not be a coincidence that the agency plans to sell more than $300,000 of Bitcoin at an auction next week. According to an announcement posted on Wednesday at the agency's website, the GSA is offering commission-free bidding on 6.79 BTC, divided into, get this, 10 lots. (laughs) On Thursday, Bitcoin was changing hands at around 50 grand. Uh, So the total amount set for the auction works out to roughly $350,000. The auction will take place on the GSA auction website starting on March 29th at 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Quote, get ready for cryptocurrency spring fever on GSA auctions, according to the press release. It's time to let your Bitcoin portfolio bloom by placing a winning bid during GSA auctions upcoming cryptocurrency. So did they hire somebody from from freaking Toyota to write that ad? This doesn't even sound like a government anymore. This just sounds like a bad marketing gig. Ah, it's so awful. But what makes it more awful is the fact that the United States government is still so stupid as to sell the Bitcoin that they capture. I, it's just dumb. It's not like I want them coming and, and, and taking my Bitcoin or anything like that. But when they do take somebody's Bitcoin because however they got a hold of it, instead of holding on to it, they just immediately sell it. And I'm like, wow, you guys really don't know what's going on. They, they probably, they're probably friends with Kevin O'Leary. But Turkey is still having their woes because it turns out that their uh, their currency is in complete collapse. At least according to Darius Z from BTC Times, he says Turkish residents flee to Bitcoin as a change in the leadership of the local central bank spurs fear of inflation. 
Uh, Al Jazeera reported back on March the 20th that the president of Turkey issued a decree firing the central bank governor, Nasi Agbal. Agbal had held the position for only four months, during which he earned the gratitude of local investors for rising interest rates and promising a more constructive monetary policy. His actions caused the price of the local fiat currency to soar from historical lows, which is apparently what Erdogan doesn't want, I guess. The Turkish lira has seen better times in the country. As the, or rather, as the country's economy seems to be headed for a severe downturn, the inflation rate has been in the double digits, reaching 15% in 2019, 16 in 2017, and 11% in 2016. More recently, the country's statistical authority announced that Turkish, or that that Turkey posted a 14.97 annual rise in consumer prices in 2020. It should not come as a surprise that in this situation, Turkish Turkish citizens are turning to Bitcoin in an attempt to escape the inflation that is eating their savings away. Just hours after the removal of Ogbal from his office, the Turkish lira dropped by 14%. And let's see what many market participants expect that the removal of a central bank's governor will be followed by the undoing of his policies. Because you don't apparently want a strong currency anywhere in the world. God knows the United States doesn't want one. It doesn't want a strong currency. It's doing everything it can to kill that shit. Trump was doing it for the last four years. And if you think Biden's going to change hit, change the tune of Trump to have a strong dollar, you're lying. They are all racing to the exits, guys. Every single country is like they don't want a, they don't want their currency strong. And this has everything to do with international trade. So what's now happening is is like sort of like a leapfrog game by governments trying to figure out how to one-up each other of having the cheapest damn currency against other countries' goods and services. And it's just going to continue. We got $3 trillion that are incoming. We just ate $2 trillion this month. And we got $3 trillion incoming. Erdogan, or however you pronounce the damn name, fired his central bank governor because the central bank governor wanted to actually do something for his people and have a strong currency so that their time isn't being destroyed. Well, the president of Turkey had a little bit different of an idea about what worth their citizens are. Let's see what Bank of America says about things. Oh, Oh, they extol the virtues of hodling, says Sam Borgi from Cointelegraph. When it comes to investing in the financial markets, panic selling often leads to missed opportunities. And waiting for the dip could rob you of the most lucrative days to hold a particular asset. Those are the general takeaways of a comprehensive study of the S&P 500 index conducted by Bank of America. Using data going back to 1930, Bank of America's strategists found that a basic hold strategy would have yielded returns of 17,715%. If on the other hand, investors tried to quote, time the market, they could have missed out on the best trading days, missing just 10 of the S&P 500's best trading days each decade would have diluted the total returns to just 28%. Man, that's, wow, that is some eye-opening shit right there. For many investors, especially experienced ones, the natural impulse is to sell 
following a major downturn, but Bank of America found that the market's best days often follow from the worst drops. Panic selling are the, on the way down could lead to investors missing the, missing the best days. Yeah, that's called buying the blood, y'all. Servita uh, banks the bank's head of U.S. equity and quantitative strategy, explained, quote, Remaining invested during turbulent times can help recover losses following bear markets. It takes about 1,100 trading days on average to recover losses after a bear market. Okay, so you're talking about like three years. You know, a little, little under. Three years to get out of, you know, whatever mess that you think you have made. And this goes for everything. This especially goes for Bitcoin right now. Timing a Bitcoin market is a good way to get a Smith & Wesson, you know, uh, 357 pointed at your head and have a trigger pulled. Uh, don't do this shit to yourself. Cryptocurrency investors and especially Bitcoin hodlers are known for having a very low time preference. Industry data routinely shows that over 60% of Bitcoin circulating supply hasn't moved in a year or more, which reflects growing conviction in the digital assets. Even during the latest price surge, only 36% of Bitcoin's circulating supplies moved in the last six months. Seizing crypto holders, who were called hodlers, for a meme that originated in a whiskey-fueled Bitcoin talk forum in 2013 when a user misspelled the word hold in reference to BTC, have become attuned to the fact that timing the market can cost them dearly in the long run. Like stocks, Bitcoin's 10 best trading days per day are responsible for a significant portion of its gains during the 2017 bull market. The BTC price rose an incredible 1,136% in the best 10 days of the year. Yeah, all that came in 10 days, by the way. Some entrepreneurs have tried to apply innovations in artificial intelligence and machine learning to help traders manage their emotions. One example is Stock Cards, a browser extension created to help investors predict and prevent FOMO and panic. Oh my God, Bitcoin's long-term investors are reaping the rewards of their HODL strategy with the 2021 rally reportedly producing thousands of BTC millionaires. The moral of the story, ladies and gentlemen, is buy Bitcoin, hold your Bitcoin. That's my investing advice. Let's run the numbers. Lo and behold, bond yields are down. What does that mean? Commodities are up. Oil is up 2.1%, $59.79. And last yesterday morning, uh, the futures actually showed a price above 60. We're up 2.5% this morning, which must have meant that general trade open trading yesterday must have been a freaking bloodbath. Brent North Sea is up almost two. It's at $63.11. Natural gas is down a quarter uh, to $2.56 for a thousand cubic feet. Gold is the only shiny metal rock that's down today, and it's down by almost a fifth of a point. $1,721.80 is going to buy you an ounce of that. Every All the other shiny metal rocks are up. Silver up by 0.3. Platinum up a scant. Copper is up 1.57. And palladium is up 0.5. Now let's get into indices. Uh, we have the Dow futures. It looks like it's going to be kind of sideways except for S&P. 
futures for Dow is up 0.36. S&P futures are up 0.19. NASDAQ futures are down a quarter and the S&P is up 0.6. And like I said, interest rates on bonds are all down. Uh, the 30 year futures are, or the, sorry, the 30 year bond is down by 0.8%. The 10 year is down by 0.32 and the five year is down by 0.14, but let's talk about real money. I got a price of $53,363.89. Of course, that we're talking about Bitcoin here. Is I'm not even going to look for my low. We have had, however, we're getting close back to a million dollars being sent or a million Bitcoin being sent. 794,000 BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours. That's 33,000 BTC being sent on average per hour with an average transaction value of 2.73 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.017 BTC or about 900 bucks. Block times are high at 10 minutes and 30 seconds. We have 0.56 BTC being taken in fees in, on a per block basis and 78 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. We've had a small dip in hash rate by 0.8%, but we are still at 165.444 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator being Dogecoin says 5.3 cents. So that's what your shitcoins are doing. Clark Moody is listing 47,000 transactions that are gonna have to onboard, get this, 115 blocks to clear that. 115 blocks back, dude. And it's, I mean, I've seen 47,000 transactions before and it ain't taken no 115 blocks to get to, to clear that. So what the hell's going on with these transactions today? I mean, how, how heavy are these transactions? I mean, does this actually show that there's maybe some movement in legacy non-segwit wallets? I don't know, man, but 115 blocks is, is a mighty big number to overcome. Just like the market capitalization, which we are still under a trillion dollars, we are at $986 billion, which is 8.85% of gold's total market cap. One Bitcoin, if you so choose, will buy you 30.7 ounces of shiny metal rock. We have 18,664,748.84 BTC in circulation at this time, of which 1,153.8 of those are in the Lightning Network, which is valued at $61 million at the time. We're over 10,000 nodes. We're at 10,039 with 40,531 channels. Tor capacity is growing yet one more time. We are, we're all the way up to a new all-time high on this, I think. 55.7% of the Lightning Network are now, is now run over Tor nodes. Tor capacity is 642.4 BTC, and there are 4,213 Tor nodes on the Lightning Network. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Get rich like people with this crypto art NFT generator. Yeah, I know. I shouldn't be talking about it, but you got to be aware of what the hell's going on, okay? This is by Andrew Hayward, decrypt.co. The crypto art non-fungible token phenomenon has seen some wild heights so far, but no single person has benefited more in 2021 than American artist Mike Beeple Winkleman 
Earlier this month, he took a giant dump on Ethereum, thank God, by selling all of his shit for Ethereum and then selling his Ethereum for, you guessed it, US fiat. Uh, now you can try and replicate both his style and success through the Beeple Generator, an open source web app that randomly generates 3D models inspired by Beeple's artwork and allows you to reframe the shot before rendering a final version to save. Have a glance and see what kind of absurdist creation you can come up with. A nude Buzz Lightyear lounging on the stem of a giant banana taped to the surface of a purple planet? Donald Trump and Joe Biden leashed and being walked by a giant bipedal dog? A Dogecoin image of a towering Game Boy-esque monolith held up by ropes and scaffolding. It's all possible and more. Beeple Generator is not an official product, but rather something of a tribute or parody by artist Sam Newell and Vince McClevey. Speaking to input, McClevey, or, oh, sorry, McKelvey offered praise for Beeple, but scorn for the crypto art boom. Quote, I'm happy for him. He's an open-sourced artist. Gave a lot of his work away for free with no expectation of monetary gain. I do the same thing, and I think it's cool that was he was rewarded for that. Everything involving crypto is a scam. Laugh my ass off. It's all a pyramid scheme, including the art platforms, especially the art platforms, end quote. Despite his words, McKelvey has actually already sold an NFT version of the website itself via Zora where it sold for uh, $635 as of this writing. The buyer, artist Chris Martz, has put up a secondary asking price of 34000 uh, 34, wrapped Ethereum, which is about $68.4 million for the site, but promised to donate any proceeds evenly between the Mint Fund and Known for All. Wow. Good Lord. Okay, so... Even this, even these guys that are making a tribute to people are shitting all over the NFT scene because they see it as a scam too. Now this guy goes further and says all crypto is a scam. That's not true. If it's not Bitcoin, it's a scam coin. But other than that, he's actually correct. 99.9% .9 of this space is just filled with garbage and you should stay away from 99.9% .9 of this space. Although Hester Pierce didn't, SEC's crypto mom warns selling fractionalized NFTs could break the law. That's right. Fractional reserve NFTs are coming to a piece of shit platform near you. Cointelegraph's Samuel Haig says more. Speaking at Draper Gorin Holmes Security Token Summit on March the 25th, SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce, also known as Crypto Mom, warned the issuers of fractionalized, non-fungible tokens and NFT index baskets that they could inadvertently be distributing investment products. While Pierce stated that the whole concept of an NFT is supposed to be non-fungible, meaning that in general it's less likely to be a security, she noted that people are being very creative in the type of NFTs that they are putting out there. Pierce urged NFT issuers to be cautious if they decide to sell fractional interest in NFTs or NFT baskets, stating, quote, you better be careful that you're not creating something that's an investment project or rather known as a security, end quote. With NFTs fetching, fetching increasingly exorbitant prices, fractionalized interest in these assets enable smaller investors to still be able to gain exposure to a small share of the high-priced NFT, Earlier this month, Cointelegraph reported on two emerging teams offering novel solutions for fractionalizing non-fungible tokens. 
Oh my God. Pierce also criticized the use of the Howey test to assess whether crypto assets are securities, asserting that it hasn't worked that well for the industry. The Howey test is frequently used by courts to determine whether an asset is a security with the, with the test being derived from a landmark 1946 court case concerning real estate contracts issued by the owner of a citrus grove to fund the business expansion. Pierce said that if the test were used in the 1946 case in the same way it applied to crypto, the courts would have been seeking to determine whether the fruit trees were securities rather, uh, rather the investment contracts relating to the plants. Pierce noted she hopes to collaborate with incoming SEC Chairman Gary Gensler on developing her, quote, safe harbor plan, which would reduce regulatory scrutiny on emerging blockchain networks. The safe harbor plan would allow new token issuers a three-year window in which to build a robust and decentralized network and demonstrate securities laws do not apply. The plan would also require that issuers provide detailed plans regarding the network's roadmap, token sale, and the individuals and investors behind the project. Quote, you have three years to develop the network so that the token is actually usable or the network is decentralized. And at that point, it's clear the securities laws don't apply. And everything that you say will be covered by the anti-fraud laws under the security laws, end quote. And I don't know who made that quote. I, I assume it's Hester Pierce. Okay, fractionalized NFT, they're coming. I'm telling you, man, here's what's going to happen. Let's take, let's take the example of Beeple. Beeple's going to cut another NFT, okay? And he'll do it. I mean, he'll, he'll do it. And, 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 and people that think that he's going to fall back in love with Ethereum are, are going to run to the doors and they're going to give him all their Ethereum because finally Beeple's seen the light. He won't because he's going to end up in jail this way. I'm not, he's going to say, I'm not going to just sell you the NFT. I'm going to sell shares of that NFT and you're going to buy them. And then this registered third party is going to buy the NFT at $75 million at auction at Christie's. And you're going to own a portion of that NFT. Okay. That's going to be a complete fail on the Howey test, right? <laughs> you're basically being sold an instrument with the promise of gain through the actions of a third party. Failure of the Howey test. Fractionalized NFTs are coming. I, 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 I assume that we'll just basically see them like explode next week. Okay. That's just all I'm saying right there. Uh, let's see what else we got here on deck. Uh, oh, time. Let's talk about more NFT shit. Time magazine sells is Fiat dead NFT cover for $130,000. Tim Copeland tells us about it from Decrypt. Time Magazine has sold four digital magazine covers as non-fungible tokens for nearly $500,000 in cryptocurrency. The tokens were auctioned off on the NFT marketplace super rare yesterday, totally, or raising a total of 276 ETH, which is about $450,000 NFT. Well, we know what an NFT is. You don't need to describe it for me. The collection began in 1966 when Time published a magazine with the cover Is God Dead? It was the first time, it was, I'm sorry, it was the first cover lacking imagery and it related to a story by Time religion editor John Elson. The NFT for this artwork sold for 70 Ethereum. 
This design was then used for a second time during the Trump presidency when the publication used the phrase, Is Truth Dead? on its cover. And this one sold for 88 Ethereum. The third magazine cover reads, Is Fiat Dead? and is set to be published on March the 29th. The story looks at the rapid rise of NFTs, <laughs> Jesus, and how cryptocurrencies are rallying against government-issued fiat currencies such as the US dollar. It sold for 83 Ethereum. The fourth NFT is an image showing all three magazine covers. It shows the consistent design across the cover spanning 55 years and the shift from print to digital. This one sold for only 35 Ethereum. Time Magazine is just the latest idiot company to get in on the NFT hype, which it is also documenting. Interest in the cryptographically unique tokens has boomed in 2021, with artists selling NFTs for multi-million dollar sums and brands launching their own NFTs to capitalize on the opportunity. Whether fiat is dead or not, NFTs it seems to be very much alive and in vogue. Yeah, watch out for that shit that's in vogue. It has this sneaky tendency to fall out of vogue let's see what's binance doing today oh it adds former fatf officers to regulatory strategy team hey man if you can't beat them hire them i guess danny nelson tells us about it from coindesk major cryptocurrency exchange binance on thursday tapped two former members of the financial action task force for its adversary or sorry advisory team adversary team that would be cool though advisory team telegraphing its commitment to staunch compliance and fraud concerns former executive rick mcdonnell and former head of fatif's canadian delegation josie nadu will advise on binance's global compliance and regulatory strategies according to a press release the pair will also participate in Binance's communication with regulatory agencies around the world, according to the company. Earlier this month, Binance added a top government liaison to form in former United States Senator Maxwell Baucus. Binance has faced accusations in the past of working to sidestep government oversight and is reportedly under investigation by the United States Federal Commodities Regulator to see if U.S. residents traded derivatives on the cryptocurrency exchange in violation of U.S. rules allegations the firm staunchly denies so there you go what does it mean it means they're trying to i think it means that they're trying to figure out fatif's playbook by hiring the people that used to work uh in in the inner circles of fatif that's what i i'm not sure if it's all about compliance i mean that's part of it i'm sure but i also think that binance may be trying to figure out you know how to how to operate in this particular environment and not solely through compliance. Maybe looking for windows and doors to be able to step through that FATF isn't, isn't regulating. And what best way to figure that out? Talk to somebody who worked at FATF or with FATF or through FATF or whatever. But it doesn't matter. China proposes global rules for monitoring CBDCs. This should, this should raise the hackles on the back of your head, dude. Coindesk's Tanzil Akhtar is writing this one. Uh, it's just a bullet point list, by the way. The Coindesk is getting weird. They're not, they, they seem to be more about this bullet point news reporting than anything else now, but whatever. The director of the Digital Currency Research Institute at the People's Bank of China is proposing a set of global rules for monitoring central bank digital currencies. Speaking at the Bank for International Settlements seminar on Thursday, Mu Shangshun laid out 
the proposals explaining that CBDC fund flows should be synchronized to help regulators monitor the transactions for compliance, according to a Reuters report. Quote, interoperability should be enabled between CBDC systems of different jurisdictions, he said. China is leading major nations in the development of piloting a CBDC, but the digital wand product, uh, project has raised concerns around the amount of insight it would give authorities into users' financial data and behavior. The PBOC has shared its proposals with other central banks and monetary authorities, Mu said at the BIS seminar. This should scare the piss out of everybody that just uh, l- listened to me read that. Why? Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to corner the market of all world's global digital fiat currency. That's what this is. And they want to know what everybody in every country is doing. They want every nation on the planet of the earth to adopt this bullshit. And because of its interoperability, each fiat currency is going to be leaking information to the Chinese central government communist party. If for no other reason, let's say that every fiat currency was stable right now and we didn't have the inflation problems. We didn't have lumber like six Xing over the last three years in price and, and, and houses were still affordable and people actually got paid a decent wage comparable to the assets that they have to actually have to either borrow, purchase or steal. Let's say none of this shit was going on and everything was just hunky dory. I would still want Bitcoin because of this. That's all I'm saying about that one. Let's see what Daniel Kuhn has to say. Uh, the node, <clears throat> Bitcoin is Armageddon, is, or rather is Bitcoin Armageddon insurance. Yesterday, Elon Musk tweeted that Tesla will hold any Bitcoin it brings in from paying customers. And it appears the future king of Mars is building a Bitcoin stockpile to last the ages. This got me thinking, whether earthbound sovereigns would ever put Bitcoin on the balance sheet, as the saying goes. <clears throat> Under what scenarios would a government fo- follow Tesla and decide to buy Bitcoin? That's the question, right? I put the question to James Engel, an associate professor at Georgetown's McDonough School of Business who specializes in global financial markets, and here's what he said. Uh, first call, first, call him Jim. Second, most rich developed uh, Western governments are unlikely to ever add Bitcoin to their balance sheets. Bitcoin is a private competitor to their seniorage franchises. And if it ever catches on, like really catches on beyond Elon Musk's imaginary moon colony, they'll have to tax people in other ways, Angel said. In fact, governments might be happy if it went away entirely. There's a long, long, long history of governments shooting aside private currencies. Rogue states likely already hold some Bitcoin, but not in the same way that MicroStrategy, Tesla, and Square do, Angel said. Nations like North Korea or Venezuela view cryptocurrency as a way to evade sanctions, similar to how Bitcoin has become a dominant medium of transaction on the dark web. Governments plugged into the fiat-based global financial system are unlikely to reap any more, or sorry, reap any of the uncensorable benefits Bitcoin provides. And while Bitcoin is a comparatively cheap way to move large amounts of capital, Angel thinks governments have gotten hip to the technological revolution and will have their own stable coin like central bank digital currencies online soon. But 
What of the digital gold narrative? Of course, no government would hold Bitcoin to transact with. No, people do that. Well, Angel invites us to consider why there are places like Fort Knox or Crips below the Bank of England. In other words, why do governments hoard gold? Quote, it's Armageddon insurance, bro, Angel said, under a, under a scenario where it becomes too risky to accept dollars or pounds sterling when leaders stop lending, gold becomes a backstop. Fiat currencies are relatively new innovations in the history of money, a departure from centuries of commerce conducted in the yellow metal. You mean shiny metal rock. It's an expensive hedge. You have to store it and protect it, Angel said. Governments are willing to tie up resources, tax resources, because of gold's history. Bitcoin, newer than fiat currencies, would be cheaper and potentially more secure way to hold state reserves, but it comes with the added risk of the blockchain's future. Quote, it's an option for the future that you will have a solid blockchain that someone will figure out a need for. The last wrinkle, governments also hold foreign asset reserves. According to our vigil, or Virgil, leading us through the scenarios of monetary Armageddon, this is mostly a vanity project. Nations hold or hold other countries' currencies to show they're able to support their own local money. If we say that lira becomes weak, Turkey can purchase for us foreign assets as a way to stabilize local prices. If you run out of foreign reserves, your currency plummets. So why not Bitcoin? It is, by some measures, the third's, third largest world currency. Well, Angel points to the cost-benefit analysis some CIA official has probably war-gamed. If Bitcoin receives a state stamp of approval, it opens up a whole host of issues, like the taxation considerations above. Further, as Ernst & Young's blockchain lead Paul Brody puts it, lots of governments hold dollars as a reserve assets both because of the value or the asset value slash stability over time but also because a lot of key international trade assets like oil are priced in dollars that isn't necessarily the case for bitcoin as carnegie mellon associate professor of economics ariel zetlin jones notes quote the enormous volatility in day-to-day -day price changes associated with cryptocurrencies show no sign of slowing end quote Oh, God. Y'all are weak, bro. That's part of the reason why programs to collect taxes in crypto, such as in Ohio, have been wound down. Also, why agencies like the U.S. GSA or the General Services Administration uh, or the U.S. Marshal Service that come into possession of Bitcoin through criminal asset seizure or other means auction it off. Last year, it was unthinkable that a public company would issue several rounds of debt to buy Bitcoin. And today, there's MicroStrategy. I'm not sure anything is off the table when it comes to Bitcoin. So uh, basically, this is the bearish case for Bitcoin being held by a state sovereign. All right. All right. So, which I don't buy, by the way. I think that's bullshit. I think it's going to happen. Maybe not by the U.S. Well, actually, it's definitely the United States is definitely not going to be the first sovereign to hold Bitcoin. Right, it, it already probably isn't. I don't know if a nation has actually announced. You know, you got Venezuela and you've got Pakistan and you've got Iran and uh, and and a couple of other stories where the government is sanctioning mine or not sanctioning. Well, yeah, I mean they're they're saying yeah, it, it, you mine this, but they haven't said that they're holding it. At least not that I know of. I may be completely wrong, but I haven't heard Iran say we hold Bitcoin as a state asset. I have not heard that yet. And until I hear that shit, 
I presume that every you know that that everything is in flux. So, <clears throat> but the United States will definitely not be the first one. Why? Why do I know that? We'll look at their actions with the SEC. You got three Bitcoin ETFs that have opened up this year in Canada alone. And now, now you got one in Brazil. This is all in the Western Hemisphere, by the way. And the, what does the United States do? We got a desk in the SEC's office with a stack of, count them, eight ETF proposals. And they have yet to say shit about any of them. It's ridiculous. So it's definitely not going to be the United States, but I guarantee you a state sovereign is going to announce that they're going to hold Bitcoin on the balance sheet very, very soon. Maybe they'll buy a pizza parlor with it because this pizza store sold for BTC. Andrew Asmakov tells us about it from Decrypt. It's nearly 11 years since the day when Laszlo Hanks I guess that's how you pronounce it. A programmer from Florida famously purchased two pizzas for 10,000 BTC, which is $530 million today. Now Bitcoin is once again being used for pizza-related transactions. But this time around, it's a pizza store that is being sold for Bitcoin rather than a couple of Papa John's pies. Situated in Santa Maria, California, Bravo Pizza has been sold by its owners, Matt and Kara Miller, for an undisclosed sum of Bitcoin to Jimmy Benavides, who for the past several years has been a manager of the restaurant. According to Benavides, Bitcoin has been a common interest between himself and Matt, and the two of them often talked about the cryptocurrency. For Matt, cryptocurrency is the future because it offers a unique way to exchange funds without centralized banking. Quote, when he had mentioned he would take the payment in Bitcoin, it made a lot of sense to me, said Benavides, who takes over the property on April the 1st. The Millers believe Bravo Pizza being sold for Bitcoin will be a groundbreaking thing for the Central Coast community. However, it may not be the first brick and mortar store to change hands via the cryptocurrency or a cryptocurrency transaction. Earlier this year, two restaurants went on sale in New York with their owner putting a price tag of 25 BTC or 800 uh, Ethereum for both. Even if a restaurant is a bit out of your price range, there is a growing number of physical goods that you can now buy with crypto from clothes and real estate to private jets and Tesla electric cars. And of course, pizzas. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Wow, I haven't brought you guys a daily train wreck in a while. And it's honestly, it's because I keep missing all the really stupid stuff. But I didn't miss this one. Chris Vickery, wow, has given us, has, has given birth to yet a new meme. 1952. It's coming, people. Today is going to be the day of, of 1952 Bitcoin meme drops. You better be prepared because when my boy from... Uh, my boy Greg uh, gets up and, and comes into work today to get his paycheck from me at Human Resources. Uh, he's going to, he better be having a, like a stack of, of 1952 memes because Chris was watching apparently with bated breath Jack Dorsey's testimony to Congress and, and noticed something in the background and he tweets about it with a picture of Jack and, and this thing in the background. He says, what time zone is Jack in right now? That clock says 1952, right? Here in California, it is 9.52 a.m. currently, but definitely not 1952. 
which would be 752 in military time format. Stephen Levera writes back and says, it's a block clock mini showing sats per dollar. This dude goes on and on and on. I have never seen somebody who has been so wrong about something so simple and have had so many people politely correct his ass as to what was actually going on, and he just refused to believe it. It had to be that Jack was in Moscow. It had to be a Russian fucking conspiracy. You know who Chris Vickery is? He's a blue check mark. Thank God he doesn't have pronouns in his bio. But apparently he's director of cyber risk research at UpGuard. He's got 50,000 followers and everybody was telling him how wrong he was. Showing pictures of a block clock mini. Going to the website. He even went to the website himself. Took a screenshot and was talking about how it can show or took a screenshot of the uh, like the I don't know frequently asked questions and highlighted part of the block clock mini's frequently asked questions that talked about setting the time because it had to be showing the time in Moscow he could not get it through his head you want to talk about bias and confirmation bias this is a director of cyber risk research at upguard okay that's his title I can only imagine that that means that they, they like, I don't know, take money to consult with, with people about the risks of their cybersecurity issues. The guy is a fucking moron. Don't listen to a thing he says. Let's do a, let's do a joke. In fact, (laughs) my wife blocked me on Facebook because I post too many bird puns. Well, two can play at that game. Y'all be careful out there. It's the weekend. We're all tired. We had really, you know, weird price action all week long. We got 1952 from, you know, memes from Greg that's going to drop all day long. And then you can be assured that shit's going to populate like, like rabbits. So it'll be fun, but we're all tired. So be careful for the weekend. Y'all stay safe and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.